I have to give you all just a big round of applause. Well, you guys did such a good job. All of you got up this morning. You survived the hour of sleep that our government stole from you. <laughs> give yourself a round of applause. Thank you. I keep telling everybody. If there would be a politician that would run on the platform of, I'm going to eliminate daylight savings time, I mean, like, stop there, man. You got my vote. Like, I, I hate this. Um, anyway, we are continuing our series this morning. We're going to be working through the book of 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1, so if you want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, those people that know me pretty well know I'm a pretty big fan of what often gets labeled as kind of nerdy movies and TV shows. Uh, I love Star Trek. I love Star Wars. Um, one of my favorite movie series of all times is War of the Rings. The books are amazing. I enjoy the Marvel movies. Uh, our family really enjoy WandaVision. We're looking forward to Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And for the most part, it's just fun entertainment. Uh, but every now and then, there's a line in a quote or a quote in a movie that goes, huh, that's actually a pretty good thought. That's a pretty good quote. One of those quotes I want to share with you this morning, it's in the original Star Wars movie. Uh, there's two characters in the movie, and they're stranded here in a desert. And one of them is bemoaning their current state of affairs, and he says, we seem to be made to suffer. It's our lot in life. And nearly every time I hear that quote, I think, huh, he's not that far off. He's kind of annoying, <laughs> but he's not that far off. Now, obviously, we weren't made to suffer. That's not our purpose in life. Uh, but it is our lot in life. And one of the things I love about the uh, book of First Peter is Peter not only acknowledges this, but he gives us hope in our suffering. And he shows us a way that we can navigate our suffering and live holy lives in the middle of our suffering that glorifies God and points people to the supremacy of Jesus and to the supremacy of living the way God originally designed. Uh, last week we saw that 1 Peter was written uh, by the Apostle Peter uh, to Christians in modern-day Turkey around 65 AD. Uh, if you enjoy world history, you will know that Nero was the emperor of the Roman world at this time. And if you're familiar with world history, you know Nero was not what we would consider a good emperor. Uh, it was about a year before the book of 1 Peter was written in 64 AD that the infamous fire of Rome took place. And while there were many rumors that Nero himself started the fire, he took advantage of the fire and he actually blamed it on Christians. And he used this fire as an excuse to begin persecuting Christians in all sorts of horrible and cruel ways. Peter himself was believed to have been martyred uh, under Nero's reign uh, a year after this was written in 66 AD. And what Peter's goal is in this book is to encourage these suffering believers to stand firm in their faith as they are fleeing persecution. Author Jared C. Wilson puts it this way. He says, as trials come, the understanding that suffering can be the mark and measure of faithfulness helps these early Christians to see that affliction is one more means of Christ-likeness. And indeed, one more avenue of true joy. But in order for suffering to become an avenue of true joy, we need to make sure that our lives are built on something that's stronger than our suffering. We need to make sure that our lives are built on something that will outlast this life. Which leads us to our theme this morning, and that is simply this. Our unshakable foundation. Our unshakable foundation produces unwavering perseverance. Our unshakable foundation produces unwavering perseverance. Stand with me, if you would, as we read our text. We're going to be working through 1 Peter chapter number 1 from a very high-end view this morning. Uh, and to start us off, I would like to read the first two verses. We'll work our way through the whole chapter uh, this morning. Uh, like we said last week, we're beginning our series, Thriving in Exile, discovering how does our Christian identity, 
help us to suffer well. If suffering is something that is inevitable in our lives, how do we do it well in a way that glorifies God and points those in our lives to Him? Uh, if you're a guest this morning, thank you so much for coming. I'd like to invite you, if this is your first time here, to take out your smartphone. You can scan with your smartphone camera the QR code right in front of you. There's a little connection card that you can fill out on there. We'd love to know that you are with us this morning. Also, if you like taking sermon notes, we do have those available in that digital bulletin as well. Let's read the first two verses of 1 Peter chapter number 1. The Bible says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. May grace and peace be multiplied to you as you are fleeing persecution. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into our study this morning. Father, we thank you so much that we can experience your grace and peace even when we are in the middle of suffering. And Lord, I know that seems almost um, insensitive to say, grace and peace be multiplied to you when we're going through hard times. But Lord, when we consider our unshakable foundation that we're going to look at this morning, it's not insensitive, it's really our only hope. And so I pray that as we work through this chapter of your word this morning, our eyes uh, would get, our eyes would see that and our hearts would get a hold of it. And Lord, that we would leave here today seeking to build our lives and to set our minds on your glory. We ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Right as Peter starts off this chapter, he gives us the reminder of our salvation. As he's addressing these Christians, as he's trying to encourage them in their faith, the very first thing he wants to do is to remind them of their salvation. And so Peter starts off this small but powerful little book by reminding us as believers about our identity. He says, you are chosen, in by, chosen by God. Yes, you're living as exiles, but you are God's chosen. He then tells these Christians, grace and peace are multiplied to you. Now, like I just prayed, that seems almost insensitive, right? Like when you're going through a hard time, you don't want someone to come up to you and go, hey, brother, grace and peace multiplied to you. No, that sounds insensitive. But Peter could say that. Why? Because they were chosen by God. Because we have been chosen by God. Because we have the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit taking place in us because of the blood that Jesus shed for us. Peter is laying a foundation and he shows us that salvation involves every member of the Godhead with the specific purpose of creating obedient pilgrims and exiles on earth who share in the suffering of Christ as we advance God's kingdom. And then as he jumps into verse 3, he jumps right into the mercy of God. Look at verse number 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable it is undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time as Peter seeks to encourage these believers he reminds them of the beauty of the gospel he reminds them of how amazing their salvation is he says look it's imperishable it's undefiled. It's unfading. It's being kept in heaven for you. Even though these early Christians were literally losing everything in their lives, their lives would have felt like they were falling apart. They were fleeing their homes. They were fleeing from their families. They were fleeing from their jobs. They were fleeing from the only life they ever knew, 
so they could escape this persecution. They were losing everything. And Peter comes along and encourages them with, hey, I know you're losing everything, but you have something in heaven that is being kept by the power of God and being guarded for you. There's something in your life that Nero can't touch. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, the inheritance of the saints of God has nothing within it that can make it perish. Everything in this life at some point is going to fall apart. Governments will fail, financial institutions will fail, even solid granite eventually crumbles into dust. But our inheritance in Christ is something that will never fade. It's unperishable. Uh, Last year, our family, probably like your families, uh, had a lot of plans that got canceled because of COVID. Anybody have something get canceled on them because of the coronavirus? Aren't you so, don't you just love hearing about that? Like, like, let's get over it. Uh, We had a two-week vacation planned around my sister's wedding that we couldn't go on. Uh, My wife and I, Sarah, we were really looking forward to going to this conference in Kentucky, but because of the coronavirus, that got canceled and moved to online, so we didn't get to go. We had a trip planned to the Great Wolf Lodge down in Anaheim. It's this beautiful resort with this amazing water park built for kids. It's going to be so much fun. Our reservations for that got canceled. I think nearly everyone I know had something get canceled on them last year. And what Peter's reminding us is, he's like, look, you have a reservation in heaven that'll never be canceled. Because it's being kept by the power of God for you. Now, we get annoyed when stuff gets canceled on us, don't we? Like, ah, it's annoying. But Peter is writing to people who are literally fleeing for their lives. Saying, you have something that you will never, ever, ever lose. In his book, Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, John Fox quotes Eusebius. He was one of the very first Christian historians. And in this book, he quotes this Christian historian about the persecution caused by Nero. And he says, a man might then see cities full of men's bodies the old lying together with the young and the dead bodies of women cast out into open streets. These are the people that Peter's writing to. These these Christians that are fleeing this level, this intensity of persecution. And he's telling these people who are losing everything that because of the mercy of God, you have something that you will never lose. And Christian, because of the great mercy of God, we have something in our life that we will never lose. We, not, we might not be suffering like these early Christians were suffering, but I think as we learned last year, suffering is inevitable for all of us on some level. And the book of First Peter shines through with this beautiful reminder that says, you have something in heaven that you can never lose. Enduring and navigating through suffering while living a holy life that glorifies God is difficult. But before Peter starts to unpack what that looks like, he takes us into this deep dive into the gospel and leads us to God's sovereign power and assurance that we are given as a result. Like your family can be taken away. Your livelihood can be taken away. Your freedom can be taken away. Sorry, William Wallace. (laughs) Even your life can be taken away. But nothing can touch the inheritance that you have in heaven. The type of power that we need to thrive while living in a place that is not our home can only be found and experienced as a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have the power of God available to you so that you can thrive even while suffering. Nothing can take that away from you. But Peter continues. Let's look at verse number six. Verse six through nine, he says, you rejoice in this. <laughs> you rejoice in this. How many of you realize that's not our knee-jerk reaction in the middle of suffering? 
But Peter says, you can rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer, grievous, uh, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in the praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though, now seeing him, though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, the power and security that we have in Christ is our biggest source of joy, even in suffering. Now, when we go through suffering, we all have hard questions, don't we? Questions like, how could a good God allow this to happen? Questions like, why am I suffering in this manner? And while we have those questions, we also have the rock-solid assurance that Jesus never wastes our suffering, that he is going to use our suffering to make us more like him, to show us and teach us what true joy means. Again, Charles Spurgeon has another very helpful quote. He says, faith is a sword. Whoever has it, faith, may expect between here and heaven to learn what battle means. We must expect trial because trial is the element of faith. Faith without trial is like a diamond uncut, the brilliance of which is never seen. A fish without water or a bird without air is faith without trial. We may surely expect our faith will be tested. And in verses 6 through 9, Peter gives us the assurance that Jesus will never waste your suffering, it can actually produce indescribable, inexpressible joy. Just this joy that's so real and so deep, words don't even do it justice. You see, Christianity and suffering are vitally connected because it's through suffering Jesus makes us, like that diamond, more like him. We can rejoice in our suffering because we know the end result and it's more valuable than gold and it results in the praise, glory, and honor of the one who gave his life for us. Because of the gospel, we have the power and assurance that enables us to persevere in the face of our suffering without losing our faith. I like to say it this way, our security in Christ gives us holy grit. The ability to persevere, the ability to endure. Why? Because we know Christ is doing a work in us. We know Christ is using this suffering to make us more like him so that we can be conduits of his grace, so that we can share his grace, so that we can put on display the supremacy of following Jesus. Our unshakable foundation produces an unwavering perseverance. And as Peter goes on, he tells us all these amazing truths about the gospel are nothing new. He reminds us in verses 10 through 12 that this is what the prophets wrote about. For you, he says, this is what the prophets wrote about. The entire Bible is God's unfolding plan of redemption that even the angels long to get a glimpse of it. Even the angels up in heaven are like, wow, this is amazing. That's what we have. And with that foundation laid, Peter now moves into how do we live? How do we thrive in exile? How do we thrive as faithful, obedient, suffering exiles? How do we suffer well? He gives us that foundation, the reminder of our salvation, and then Second, he calls us to holy living. Look at verse 13. He says, therefore, because of everything we just read, because of verses 1 through 12, with that is our foundation, therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely 
on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The very first thing Peter challenges, challenges us to do is not to rely or set our hope in our own strength. Don't set your hope in your own efforts, but completely set your hope on God's future grace. See, this world is not our home. And one day Jesus is going to return, and we will see him, and the expectation of that future event should determine how we think and how we live in the here and now. That's why he says, with your minds ready for action. What we believe about the future should determine how we live now. So Peter says, let's get our minds ready for action. I think the King James says, gird up the loins of your mind. That's kind of an old Bible time phrase. Literally, you know, in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, they would wear, in Bible times, they wear like the robes, right? Super masculine, right? You can't really run in a robe. You can't fight in a robe. So when they would say, gird up your loins, literally what they would do is they would reach down, pull the back of the robes, and tie it up around the waist. It looked kind of like a diaper. It was really silly. But they would do that so they could run. They would do that so they could fight, so they could have mobility. So when it says, gird up your loins, or set your minds ready for action, what Peter's telling us to do is, get your mind ready for battle. Because living by faith is a fight. And so he says, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded. This is something we need to take seriously. This isn't something we can just approach flippantly. He says, be sober-minded and set your hope. That is an action verb. He's telling us a command to do, something we need to live out. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't set your hope on your feelings. Definitely don't set your hope on politicians. Don't set your hope on your relationships or your own work ethic or your own, you know, entrepreneurial spirit. Don't set your hope on your financial stability or your current circumstances. Set your hope on the future circumstances that will happen after Jesus returns. Set your hope completely on the grace that is going to be brought to you when Jesus Christ comes back. Tony Evans reminds us that trust in Christ isn't a feeling, it's a decision. That's not based on our feelings, it's a decision to place our hope completely on Jesus Christ. And it's a decision that starts in our minds. The reason, the reason we struggle to have holy grit, the reason we struggle to persevere, the reason I sometimes struggle to persevere and I just wish my circumstances would all be better, the reason I sometimes struggle to be content in suffering is because my mind isn't ready for action. Because I've got my hope set on lesser things. And when our hope is set on lesser things, or my hope is set on lesser things because I filled up my mind with lesser things. So the question we all have to ask ourselves is what are we allowing into our minds? Get your mind ready for action. This is a battle that takes place between our ears. What do we allow into our mind? A couple weeks ago, I challenged the men of our church, hey, when life cuts us, we should bleed Bible. Are you saturating your mind in the word of God? Are you saturating your mind in the promises of God? How much of God's word are you letting into your mind compared to other sources? You see, when we forget, when I forget everything that Peter says in verses 1 through 12, it's because my mind isn't ready for action, because my hope isn't set on God's grace. We sometimes forget that we're exiles and this world isn't our home, and that I don't really belong here. And then we begin to act as though this life is all there is instead of just the blip on the radar of eternity. And I don't know about you, but so oftentimes I 
struggle and like in my mind I kind of freak out, right? I'm like, oh no, what's going to happen? It's because I'm living like this world is all there is. Instead of experiencing the rock-solid foundation that can never be taken away from me, my security in Christ, recognizing that this world is not really my final home. A few years ago, my wife's phone screen broke. I will, for the sake of my children, not mention which one threw it down the stairs. <laughs> and for about an hour, I was super annoyed. I was like, are you kidding me? This is going to cost an arm and a leg to get this phone fixed. I'm going to have to take it to one of these super shady phone repair places down here off Ashland that's like, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to get mugged, right? Um, it's going to get some off-brand screen. It's not going to really work well. And I was, I was just like, oh, this is annoying. And then I remembered, wait a minute. My wife's phone is insured. This is awesome. We marched right into the Apple store, paid next to nothing, got a brand new screen, and it worked great. Why? Because we had insurance. There's going to be times and seasons in your life when it feels cracked and broken. But God has given us this amazing assurance that can never be shaken. And as Peter begins to call us to holiness, he wants that assurance to be front and center of our hearts and our lives. Set your hope on that. Fix your hope on that. Get your mind ready for action on that. So as he begins to call us to live holy lives in the middle of our suffering, he wants this assurance to be front and center. Look at verse number 14. Another identity statement, as obedient children. Don't be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Don't, don't live your life like you did before you knew Jesus. You're a new creation now. You're a new creature now. You have new desires. Live out of those. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, who called us? God. We established that in verse 1 and 2. As the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. He's quoting the Old Testament. Verse 17, if you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. For you know that you are not redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your fathers, not with, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. At the beginning of verse 14, Peter says, as obedient children. Again, he's reinforcing our identity in Christ. He says, you are God's children. And just like God is holy, just like God is completely set apart, just like God is unique and set in a category all on his own, he says, as his children, we should seek to be like our father. I've been a dad now for almost seven years, and at some point, I've seen all four of my children put on my shoes and try to walk on them. And it's really cute, like when you're just watching them because, you know, they're trying to shuffle their feet not walk right out of the shoes because they're too big. It's really cute and it's really adorable. And then I think about how much they want to copy me and I'm like, oh buddy, <laughs> pick a better role model, please. You see, it's built into children to want to be like their parents. That's how God wants us to look at obedience. As God's children, we should have this innate, we do have this innate desire to say, I want to be like my heavenly father. 
That's the foundation and the source for our holy living. We're called to pursue holiness by seeking to please God in every dimension of our lives. We do this by first setting our mind on him, and then as we renew our minds in the truths of his word, we begin to live differently. We begin to practice what verse 17 says. We begin to conduct ourselves in reverence before him. Because as Peter says in verse 18, we no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to God. I have a new allegiance now. And it's to God and God alone. And that allegiance trumps itself to my allegiance to my flesh. That's why Jesus said sometimes you're going to have to take up your cross and follow him because we have a new allegiance and that allegiance is to God. The price of our souls was not silver. It wasn't gold. It was the precious blood of Jesus. And this has been part of God's plan for all of eternity, Peter tells us in verse 20. It's not our life. We can't just do what we want anymore because we have been purchased by God who paid the highest price imaginable for us. Again, Pastor Tony Evans, helpful quote. He says, our holy God demanded a price for sin and he met his own demand through the sacrificial death of his son who redeemed us from slavery to sin. This is why we have faith and hope in God because Jesus paid a high price for our souls. So set your mind, set your hope completely on him. Now as we conclude this morning, I want us to look at how Peter wraps up chapter number one. Let's read verses 22 through 25. Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, when we got saved, we were purified. That's what he's telling us here. So that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly because you have been born again. Not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For he quotes Isaiah here, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls but the word of the Lord endures forever and this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you you see every instruction for how we are to live our lives grows out of what says in verse 23 because you've been born again because you've been born again you've been born again by an imperishable seed it's not flighty it's not temporary. It's not here today and gone tomorrow. When you get hit in the face with suffering, this imperishable seed is just as powerful and effective to give you hope as when you are feeling the emotional high of a great service or you're feeling the emotional high of a great day. Things are going your way. That's fine. This imperishable seed is just as strong in your life as when everything falls apart. It's so powerful that it will enable you to endure hard times with holy, joy-filled grit, to stay strong in your faith, to stay strong in holy living through your suffering. Why? Because you have this imperishable seed living inside of you. It's so powerful that it will enable you to live a life of joy-filled obedience as God's children who delight to copy their father. It's so powerful that it will enable you to delight in consistently loving others, verse 22. We'll talk about that in the series later on in specific relationships. But because you have this imperishable seed in you, you can consistently love other people in your life, even those that are difficult to love. You can consistently love people in your life and the way they receive love, not the way you want to give love. You can love others consistently and constantly. Why? Because you have been saved. You have been redeemed by an imperishable seed. In verses 
24 and 25, Peter quotes uh, Isaiah 40, verses 6, 7, and 8. It's the word of the Lord that endures forever. And he takes what Isaiah said in, in Isaiah 40, and he applies it specifically to the gospel. The gospel will never fade away. It's our eternal and abiding hope. So here's our takeaway this morning, church. Think on Christ. Set your mind completely on his grace. Set your mind on everything that he's going to do for you one day in eternity. Set your mind on how he is saving you. Set your mind on how he is redeeming you. Completely put all your eggs in that basket of the gospel. Set your hope completely on him. Think on Christ. Then live for Christ. Think on Christ. Live for Christ. Get your mind ready for action by setting your hope completely on the grace of God. Think on Christ and then live for Christ intentionally. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for all that you have done for us. And Lord, I pray that as we consider the foundation that you have given us, Lord, I pray that we would realize how precious that is. Not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but you bought us with the precious blood of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that that would be our rock-solid, sure foundation. And because of that foundation, Lord, I pray that we would experience perseverance and hope and grace and peace in the middle of our suffering. We ask this in your name. Amen.